May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. John says there were some Greeks in town that day. He doesn't say it like we would say, oh, I met this Tur Turkish woman on the plane the other day and was having this conversation. He doesn't say it like that at all. Or even like, um, you know, I met this Egyptian fellow the other day and we were talking and not even like my mother's half German. That's why our family's 100% Lutheran. Uh, you know, you should meet my grandmother someday. You know, nothing like that. He's not given to some little ethnic fact on the side that sort of um, spice up the anecdote, as it were. He, he's telling us that there was something unusual. There were, he calls them actually Hellenists. The translation is Greeks. But it's not just people from Greece. Hellenists to John and to people in John's world were, were anybody that really wasn't Jewish. Um, they were part of the non-Jewish world. The Hellenists, the regular kind of um, uh, Greco-Roman world. And so when he says there were some Greeks in town that were coming to worship, your ears should perk up. I and mean, if you were if you were someone with with uh, Jewish sensibilities, you would say to yourself, "What? This is this is really unusual. Greeks in Jerusalem to worship? I mean, they would have been as out of place as Pentecostals at the Vatican. It's just not exactly the kind of people that you you know we're we're not belonging here." It was tough to be Jewish in the first century. It's tough to be Jewish today, no matter where you are in the world. There's a, I was reading a, a book review in the Wall Street Journal on Friday called A Question of Belonging is the title of the, of the text. And, uh, and the book is about, um, is about it's a critique written by, um, written by American rabbis that are uh, of the kind of conservative and reform type that are critiquing Israeli Orthodox rabbis because I guess these uh, uh, ultra-Orthodox Israeli rabbis are kind of undoing conversions. They're, they're decertifying conversions to Judaism that had happened recently, especially among Westerners. And so these American rabbis are kind of critiquing Israeli rabbis, saying it's not right to undo a conversion, a person who's a Gentile and converted to Judaism. But they go back and they cite case law. And apparently this decertification of conversion has been going on for thousands of years. Rabbis who are questioning Gentile conversions to Judaism. Becoming a Jew in the first century, just like today, is not like joining the gym. You know, you don't just go and sign up and, and pay your dues and all of a sudden you're in. There's a lot more to it. And then there's always this suspicion as to whether or not you really belong. So when you hear John saying, there were some Greeks in town that day to worship. Well, you should know that they know that they are completely out of place. And you should feel the vulnerability that they feel. That they, they have this longing to, towards Israel's God. But they know that they really don't belong. They know that they're the last ones in and they're going to be the first ones asked to leave. And I wonder what they were expecting to find, these Greek fellows who showed up in Jerusalem to worship. I wonder what they were expecting to happen. Well, the one thing they probably were not expecting was this young rabbi called Jesus. They probably weren't expecting him, and when they began to hear about him, the word was all over town. He's different from all other rabbis. This rabbi has women as disciples. I mean, that was shocking. It was scandalous. He has women that are following him. 
Not only that, he has in his entourage former tax collectors, which even pagans know are worse than any sort of criminal. He has women and tax collectors. He has a terrorist. His name is um, Simon. He's called Simon the Zealot. Uh, he was uh, a freedom fighter, if you happen to be part of that. He was, a, he was a terrorist, if you were a Roman citizen. He has traitors, terrorists, women and tax collectors, probably tomcats. Who knows what else is in that collection of people that are following Jesus. And, and I'm sure these Greek fellows, I'm sure they said to themselves, well, if he's got all this riffraff in his band of followers... Maybe there's room for a Gentile or two. Maybe, maybe he has room for us. And so they find this fellow, his name's Philip. You heard the story, right? They find this fellow, Philip. Philip is a Greek name. Jesus, one of Jesus' followers who's a Jew has a Greek name, Philip. And they find him and they say, you know, we want to see Jesus. I don't know what they're expecting when they were going to find him, but we want to see him. We want to see Jesus. I'm pretty sure they were hoping he'd say, well, as I said, we've got a riffraff band, there's room for you too, come on in, water's fine, you know, try it on out, you're going to like this place. I'm sure that's at least what they were hoping to find. And so Philip goes and finds another fellow, Andrew. Andrew's also another fellow who has a Greek name. Philip and Andrew are only two of Jesus' twelve followers who have Greek names. All the rest have Hebrew names. They find the two fellows who have Greek names. Isn't that interesting? And they say to them, you know, come on, let's go find Jesus. You know, we never do find out if they find him or not. The story doesn't, as far as we know, they're still standing there waiting. Maybe they're coming back, you know. But I think John leaves enough to our imagination to assume that because Philip goes and finds Andrew, that this band of followers goes with him. I kind of imagine about eight of them. Just for the sake of argument, John doesn't tell us. Why not imagine as many as we want? But I got eight. I've got eight Greek guys following Philip and Andrew heading to find Jesus. Can you imagine this? A group of ten men making their way through a crowded marketplace. And they come along and they see Jesus maybe sitting on a, uh, an edge of a wall or sitting on a, on a bench. And he's talking with somebody. Maybe Peter or Jane. Maybe he's talking with John. You know, this first hand. And here he is talking with John, and he's, he's having a conversation. And, and Philip, I think, and Andrew look at these Greek guys and they say, You wait here. <laughs> wait right here. You know, and they go off about 10 or 15 feet away and talk to Jesus. And so Jesus begins to talk to Philip and Andrew, seeing this gathering of fellows hanging away about 10 or 15 feet. And I think he talks to them in such a way that it's overheard. I think the conversation that Jesus has with Philip and Andrew in this passage is a conversation he intends these guys to overhear. They want to know, is there room for us in your band of followers? Will you validate me? Will you say to me that the door to God is open? Will you say that? The only thing is, Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. Now, he never gives a direct answer, does he? It's always a question with a question. It's always a, a kind of, uh, you know, a, a little bit of working to figure this thing out. It's like reading a judge's verdict, you know? You have to, like, read through this thing to find out what in the world was, it, was the verdict actually about. Look, if you would, take your bulletin, will you? Verse 26 of, of, the, of the Gospel lesson. Jesus says this, verse 26, um, 
uh, begins at 20, so just about halfway down through that lesson. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. You know what? I think I read something there. Whoever. Whoever includes, well, it includes whoever, doesn't it? I mean, this is, this is a pretty wide open door. And if you're a Gentile outsider and you hear the word whoever, you're saying to yourself, that includes me. I'm in too. Whoever, I'm in the whoever group. But look, look close. Whoever wants to follow me, write this. There's a little grammatical, I don't want to lose you in this, please, don't, don't get lost in the grammar lesson. Don't, don't revert back to third grade. I had Mrs. Prout in third grade. I, I don't want you to go to Mrs. Prout's class, okay? But I, I want you to, just for a moment, will you bear with me for a small grammar lesson? See the word in verse 26, serves, whoever serves me. The word serve is what's called a subjunctive verb. If you're translating a subjunctive into English, a, a, a Greek subjunctive into English, it often takes more than one word. You have to kind of help this word out because there's something about the aspect of the word that's trying to get you to think more than just the action. Whoever serves me should be probably translated whoever wants to serve me. Whoever wishes to serve me. Eugene Peterson in the message gets it right. He says, he translates this, if any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. The New Living Translation gets a little closer. Those who want to be my disciples must come after, must follow me and come after me. The Greeks want to know, can we join? Can we get in on this? Yes, you can. Only there's one little caveat, one little thing that you have to do if you want to serve me. It actually came in the verse before. Verse 25, those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it. Whatever these Greeks were expecting, they weren't expecting this. Membership in the Jesus Club is costly. It costs you everything. Not a lot. <laughs> it's not expensive. It costs everything. This is the message of Christianity. Don't lose me here, okay? This is the, this is the payoff. The, the message of Christianity is this, that God's grace is free and available to everyone. God's grace is free and available to everyone. But it is not cheap. It is costly. It is the most costly thing in the world. If I could ask you to read only one book besides the Bible... If I asked you to read one book, if I asked you to read the Bible. But if I asked you to read one book other than the Bible, it was written in the 1930s by a German Lutheran pastor called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I named my youngest son after him, so I, I really do think he's a pretty important guy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And it'll blow your hair back, even if you don't have hair. It, it's, it's a great book. And there's a, there's a chapter, the very first chapter. It's only about, I don't know, 12, 13, 15 pages long, something like that. It's called Costly Grace. If you only read one thing other than the Bible this year, it's less than a newspaper article. Read the chapter entitled Costly Grace because he will push you back against the wall and will pin you until you have to answer one of the toughest questions in your life, which is, is there anything that I love more than Christ? Is there anything that's too much for me to give up? 
You see, Bonhoeffer reminds us that when Christ bids us to call, He bids us to come and die. To give up everything. And somebody says, oh my goodness, you know. What about money? Oh yeah, money. That's the easy thing. Money is the easy thing to give up. He wants so much more than money. He wants our whole life. He wants our He wants our family. He wants us to put a, He wants us to put him before our family. Before our vocation, before our occupation, before our desires, our wants, our wishes, before anything else that we have. He wants to be first in everything. Bonhoeffer's chapter on costly grace juxtaposes costly grace with cheap grace. And I'm ashamed to say that most of what the church sells all over the world is cheap grace. It's very cheap. It's just kind of given out with no thought. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You've got to give me everything. Listen to Bonhoeffer. You don't have to read the chapter. I'm going to give it to you. Costly grace, he says is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a person their life. And it is grace because it gives the person the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And it is grace because it justifies the sinner. What then is cheap grace, you ask? Oh, Bonhoeffer's happy to answer that one for you. He says, cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price and grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Bonhoeffer opens the chapter by saying this, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. I wonder what these Greek fellows were expecting from Jesus when they came up to Him that day. I mean, I wonder what they were expecting Him to say. Well, maybe they were expecting, alright, so you want to become part of my following band? You have to go see the surgeon. It's going to take you a minute to catch on to that one, but think cosmetic surgery for men only in the ancient Israel. Okay, it's still going to take you a minute. You might have to go see the surgeon. Maybe you have to pay a fee. Maybe you have to do some sort of initiation right. None of that. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a sacrifice. You want to follow me? You have to make a sacrifice. And here's what it is. I want everything. I want everything. I want you to put it all aside and follow me. You want to be my disciple? You have to give up your life. Because anyone who tries to hold on to their life is going to lose it. But anyone who gives it up for my sake will find it. Nothing. Nothing could be more costly than grace. And nothing could be more freeing at the same time. Amen.